This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Raise Your Game. In this era of transformative change, leadership takes on a multi-dimensional role that requires the resilience and ability to foster innovation as a critical leadership skill. From hybrid working to AI, the future of work is undeniably leaning towards adaptability. Some companies are even ditching the traditional office spaces and saying hello to a complete shift in remote work, although there is some pushback in that as we've seen with some companies calling employees back to work. Other than that, AI has been a really key trend for this year with leaders contending with how we adapt this in the workplace and employees kind of trying to figure out how they fit into this equation as well. So as we come to the end of 2023, today on the show, we're going to take a look at key lessons for leaders and managers for this year to take into 2024, keeping in mind some of those key trends we mentioned earlier, including effective managing of hybrid workforces, as well as the implications of AI on businesses and leadership. Helping me with this conversation is Roshan Thiran. He's the founder of Malaysian-based Learning and Engagement Group, Leaderonomics. Roshan, welcome to the show. All right, great to be here. Been a while. Been a uh, while. It's always good to be back at BFM. Yes, and I get you in the studio with us. I think uh, the vibe always much better. <laughs> um, Roshan, we got a lot to get into, and I, sure. I think we kind of socialized the idea of talking about hybrid workforces, yep. um, AI, and the implications on leadership. But let's start off first with, you know, it's the end of the year, it's yep. December. Talk to us a little bit about the key leadership lessons that you believe should be carried over into 2024? Sure. I, I think the first big, uh, for me at least, uh, is that we all are clear that this is a time of transition. And what does that mean is that there's always and there's new ways. We are neither in the old ways, which is, and I'll give a quick illustration, or are we in the new ways? Now, the, the only way to get to the new way is to have structure and kind of agreed on uh, sort of standards. We, we are not there. So so give a quick, quick illustration, you know, World War II, uh, World War I era, prior to that was the biggest innovations in the world. Mm. We had aeroplanes, we had cars, we had uh, light bulbs, electricity, we had productivity, we had banking, a whole bunch of innovation, right? But it resulted in World War I, 1915, the Great Depression in the 20s. Uh, of course, they had their COVID, which is Spanish flu, and then they had World War II. Now, why did that happen? Because cars required a complete destruction of old ways, horses, road systems, and a complete rebuilding of new ways, traffic lights and standards. And the same thing's happening today. We have AI, we have three revolutions. You know? We have a physical revolution with robotics and a whole bunch of other things, driverless cars and so on. We have a biological revolution with the genome mapping project, <laughs> but we also have what we call a digital revolution, which is why I talk about blockchain, AI, and all these other things. Three revolutions happening in one, but there are no standards. Is cryptocurrency, um, even cryptocurrency, is it Bitcoin, Ethereum, which one? Or US dollar, ringgit? We have no standards. We have no global standards that everybody adheres to. We have no standards in AI, you know, ethics or otherwise. We have no standards in, in driverless cars, nothing. I mean, there's, there's really no standards. And because when there's no standard, it means you're in transition. And so big lesson is we are well in transition which means that we have to deploy a paradoxical leadership where, where there's no right or wrong. Both answers are right, but it's very contextual, right? So, so to me, that, that's, that's the big lesson. I think the other big lesson is that um, we know, I mean, the, the motherhood lessons will be, we know <laughs> that we have to, in, in a time of transition, there has to be a lot of resilience. There has to be a lot of agility. There has to be a lot of experimentation because we, we don't know what the standards are, but we know we have to still play the game. 
right? So playing the game when there's no rules <laughs> requires a lot of agility, a lot of resilience, a lot of uh, ability to withstand a whole bunch of uh, tornadoes mm. that will constantly be completely, you know, throwing us in a in, in chaotic state, right? So... Yeah, it's, it's it's like the Wild West, essentially, at this point, right? It is. Um, and, you know, I'm, you're talking about time of transition and, you know, we've got so many different new technologies that come into place. And I think back to, you know, days of when when we had new standards in terms of when we moved to Blu-ray. It was a fight between Blu-ray right. DVD and HD DVD, right? And right. there was a winner within five years. Yes. Because one basically adoption rate. Uh, at this point, we're seemingly having so many different new tech coming into play and they seem to be able to last a lot longer in terms of how long they can survive before reality kicks into play. Um, not the most ideal situation for <laughs> leaders and managers to... Absolutely. ...in terms of how quickly they have to adapt to things. So um, what should they be paying attention to as we go into 2024 in terms of... Uh, adaptability and you know, it's easier said than done. Right? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely easier said. So think about it. When you when there's no standards, you need to be able to see dots. I think that's the number one thing, right? How do I see little dots? You know, uh, ChatGPT announced Turbo and, and Plus and a whole bunch of things. Okay, what does that mean? Now everyone's everyone's building their own GPT. Uh, so those are little dots, right? But the ability to see these dots and connect these dots and look for opportunities and threats. Because all mm. these dots connect into two things, a, a threat or an opportunity. Most of us don't see the dots because we are playing the game that we're used to playing. But that game is completely changing. And, and, and John Chambers wrote a great, great book called Connecting the Dots, I think 2018. And he said a lot of people are playing a game in this field, this big field, and they're so busy doing the right thing, which is doing their jobs, that they don't see these dots forming. And these dots become, I mean, he didn't say this, but to me, you know, there's a video of a gorilla, uh, you know, that, that appears in the middle of a basketball game that nobody sees. Yes. I, I think that's what these dots do. They, 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 after a while, there's a little gorilla that appears that eats up your market share, eats up your volume, eats up the way your business model, uh, you know, disrupts this and disrupts. And, and we don't see these gorillas. And over time, suddenly, you say, oh, wow, big change. Actually, it's not big changes, you know. I mean, Google is not a young company. Microsoft, not a young company, you know. I mean, these, these are all old companies that are being disrupted now. Um, so the cycle is that it takes 15, 20 years, but these are little, little dots that build bigger, bigger, bigger. Then they become gorillas, they start eating. And then as time comes on, we suddenly realize, oh, who are all these gorillas running around? Mm. Um, and I think as leaders, we need to start seeing these dots. What does AI mean for my business? What does driverless cars going to do for the economy? How is the fact that people are going to live longer, maybe, you know, with or even shorter, I think it's going to be two extremes, right? With some of the biological changes that are happening with the work of David Sinclair and all this, how is that going to impact the work that mm. I do? What about our organization structures? Young people are going to look at things in a very different way because they grow up in a certain environment. What's the gig economy going to do to my company, you know, structurally? Because today we're very pyramid, very hierarchical base. But we're starting to see new startups completely evolve in different ways on how they structure the business. All these things have permutations. And to me, is you start seeing these dots, connect these dots, and then look at your organization and have a reality check. Okay, what does this dot mean in relations to you know, if you start connecting them, what does this mean in relation to my organization? You will find it's an opportunity or a threat. So how do you mitigate the threats? How do you leverage the opportunities? And I think that's going to be the big game for 2024. So I guess the question then, Roshan, is how do we do it, right? Absolutely. Because uh, I think the way you've been illustrating it is there's a lot of basically sitting down and asking yourself a lot of questions. Um, but in this very busy hustle and bustle world, sometimes we are so busy focusing on business today and or maybe even just tomorrow that we don't prioritize looking at business in the next month or the next year. Uh, and this is why, you know, many proponents will always talk about 
having that time to like review and reflect. Uh, but when you have fires to put out, sometimes you can forget about doing that. So how do you suggest we keep an eye on those dots while still having to manage our business as usual? So, so you know, it's absolutely great question, right? Because I, I worked for General Electric for about 15 years and, you know, after Jack, uh, first was Jack Roush and then Jeffy Melt and one of his big failures was not being able to see how the world was changing mm. and to evolve the company. Actually, he saw it. I mean, he was trying to build a digital GE. The problem was that everybody was so focused on the productive GE, the GE as it was, uh, you know, it was hard to rebuild it into new. And, and now most proponents will say, you know, you have this organization, just build another one and let them compete with each other and so on and so forth. I think the same goes to, to workspace. I think as CEOs, as senior leaders of companies, we need to be able to take some time to say what's really happening in the world and ask these questions. I don't think we are taking that time because that time, that reflection is needed. And, and like you said, every three months there's changes. Mm. Every six months you're talking about quantum leaps <laughs> that are happening <laughs> across the board. And, and this is why you know, uh, so many businesses keep dying yeah. because we are confident in a model, but we have to say that this model may last us six months a year. How do we consistently evolve until there's standards? Because when there's a standard, right, we know, okay, this is the standard. We can play around the standards. When there are no standards, it goes back to the transition part. You have to constantly evolve. You have to constantly grow until a standard is established. Once a standard is established, you can build around it. I'll give you a great example. Rockefeller, many years ago, why is he a billionaire? Because somebody invented cars who probably didn't make a lot of money inventing cars because there's so many other guys copied them and there's many, many car companies that have set up. But the guy who became a billionaire was the guy who realized every car needs petrol. Mm. And so that guy was Rockefeller. He said, let me corner the, the oil market. <laughs> and he set up Standard Oil and he became a billionaire. So with a lot of this innovation, the yeah. guy who wins is the guy who sits back and sees what's happening here. What's the opportunity? <laughs> and how can I take that opportunity and build something around that, right? And sometimes what companies have is already we have certain infrastructure that enables us to accelerate, right? So sometimes when you look at your, and that's why I say it's about looking at what your company has and what the opportunity is, it's both. Mm. Because the guy who's sitting there who's got nothing, he's saying, I see the opportunity. They may not have advantages that you have, right? With an infrastructure and so on. And so they're building from scratch. Um, and that, that old day where I can raise a billion, billions of dollars, <laughs> build, and I don't think it exists anymore. I mean, that, those, those are gone, right? I mean, you're, 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 oh, I got this idea, let me raise billions. It's gonna be, what do you have? How do you do it? How do you do it fast? How do you scale? So, can you monetize or not? Yeah. Exactly, and so to me, the companies that exist, who have infrastructure, there's going to be some opportunity mm. that all these changes yield. But we're not, we're not at all looking at what these opportunities are because we're so busy trying to make ends meet, trying to figure out. So my company, for example, you know, I decided, me and we both founded a company, I was running it for many years. I said, look, time for me to get out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I said, I'm out. <laughs> we pointed a new CEO, Sashi is now, now CEO. And it's like, look, I'm just going to look at. So I, I, I see, oh, there's education space, right? I mean, the learning and development space, there's space technology, there's cybersecurity, there's so many different areas where education is critical. Yeah. But we're so busy executing corporate training, da da da, you know, learning and development. The day to day, what pays the bills? Exactly. Let that continue, but let's 
caught in a few people to look at opportunities. You know? So basically, there is a there needs to be a kind of separation between day to day operations and managing that and keeping that going well, uh, but also a strategy viewpoint, a strategy viewpoint, someone who's looking at the bigger picture, longer picture, um, and, and kind of adapting to that. Absolutely. And some of those key areas, uh, uh, Roshan, which we'll get into, include a little bit more focus on AI and just getting sure. some tactics out for people as well. Sure. And uh, also just talking a little bit about how the hybrid workforce in the future mm. of work, how, what should leaders and managers be paying attention to Abs. that? Sure. We'll get, into that, Let's get that. into that in a few minutes. Folks, I've been speaking with Roshan Thiran, the founder of Malaysian-based Learning and Engagement Group, Leaderonomics. I'm Roshan Kanderson. Keep it here to raise your game on BFM 89.9, the business station. Bias Free Media, BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Karnison, and this morning I've been speaking with Roshan Thiran. He's the founder of Malaysian-based learning and engagement group Leaderonomics. And we've been exploring some of the key themes and lessons that leaders and managers should be taking into 2024. Um, Roshan, earlier we talked a little bit about the need for a larger view, or at least a more strategic viewpoint forward. And that can entail having a separation of duties between the person who's um, running the businesses that, or the uh, the arms Day-to-day. of the business that pay the bills essentially, yep. um, but need a more operational focus, and the other side where you need to look at the dots that are being formed and the opportunities that are present there, if not, could disrupt you in the future. If you missed that part of the conversation, you can always go to the BFM website, bfm.my or the BFM app to listen to that part. Uh, Roshan, now I want to focus a little bit on the two particular areas that have seemed to shine this year. One is AI and Mm -hmm. the other one is effective management of hybrid workforces. There's a bit of push and pull there. Let's start with AI first. Yep. Some of the key areas that leaders and managers should be watching should be how do they tame this AI beast? And, and, you know, everyone thinks AI is a technological tool. Uh I think it's a game changer, right? Because Mm -hmm. you think about it, there are a couple of areas, right? One is that what's going to happen in businesses is a lot more data-driven functions. Mm. So think about the marketing function. The marketing function used to be a very creative function. Advertisers and this and that, very emotional. Today... Marketing is completely data-driven. I think the same is going to happen to HR, mm. right, which is my second piece, right? So CEOs, leaders will now use data, which AI can churn out, you know, whether it's market trends, whether it's economy, predict what's going to happen on, on my product, you know, in terms of my flow, in terms of uh, supply chain. A lot of these things will, will become absolutely data-driven. Now, the other piece, I think this way, I think the evolution of what HR, you know, what AI will change in, in HR is, and, and we've started building this. So in 2019, uh, you know, we started getting involved with uh, things like Budaya. I mean, there were tools like Happily, uh, which enable a personalized employee experiences. Now, mm-hmm. what does that mean? That means a leader will be able to see, okay, when's Roshan going to leave the company? Um, you know, in the next three months, what's your mood today? Do you have mental health issues? What's the relation map? You know, who are you fighting with in the company? Uh, who do you, you have a problem with your boss? We, we can start mapping all of this based on different interactions and different data that we're collecting, right? So it's already there. These tools are already there. Now, what will happen is then each manager if you think about it, we'll have a person, and, and this one, you know, things too, like, like Happily and Budaya, you already see this, right? On a daily basis, these managers get an email to say, here are your problem areas, here are issues you need to fix, here are interventions you need to do with your employees based on the data we've been collecting, you know, across the organization. So you start to see functions start to change. I think functions will morph because as time goes on, you start to say, why do I need an administrative person? Because almost all, again, this is fast forward five years, yeah. 10 years, but 
you will start to see less and less need of, uh, of, of that. You see enhanced communication, you see scenario planning, risk management, all these things will be actually done through uh, artificial intelligence. And so the role of a leader will start moving away f- to become the predictive CEO. You know, the AI will be the predictive CEO. So you don't have Interesting. to think about that, right? AI will be, you know, will help you become a better empathic leader because you know what's happening. You know who's struggling. You right. You can then intervene rather than trying to collect data, because today we are having conversations, right? And why is HR having a conversation with the employee to collect data mm-hmm. so that we can create interventions? But if data is already collected, I can start executing. I can start doing. I can start connecting. I can communicate better. Uh, you know, relevant. Uh, I, and and AI can be my coach. Right. So as a leader, I will, and I do this personally because, you know, whether it's ChatGPT or whether it's Merlin, I mean, I, I, I always want to be the beta user for every <laughs> single, uh, there's some advantage to doing that. But I'm, I'm engaging, you know, yesterday, you know, we, we were building a cybersecurity school. So I went there and I, I built my own logo. I sent it my team. They're like, oh, I didn't know you could do design. I'm like, yeah, my best friend, you know, helped me, uh, logo GPT helped me do that. Right. So, you know, you know, you start thinking about, so at an individual level, I think we become a lot more productive. Yeah. But I think at a senior leadership level, we will start becoming a lot more strategic because now we are, all the time-wasted elements can be automated, can be taken care by these guys. I mean, I don't need to be doing predictions. AI can take care of that, you know, throw in there. I need to be figuring out what, what I do, what are the opportunities that all these things present what are the threats that I need to mitigate? How can I restructure my organization? How can I relook at, at different things? And to me, I think it will come, if not now, in the next five, eight, ten years. You know, it's almost like horse to cars, right? Yeah. If you, you know, there's a great photo in 20, uh, 1903, 50 horses, three cars in New York City. 1913, 50 cars, three horses, right? So, and you know, at the biggest debate is like, horses are always going to be there, you know, how can you take away, this is a life being, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the debate back then was horse and car. Today it's AI or, or this. I mean, to me, it's non, non-issue because you fast forward 10 years, 15 years, we will embrace it because it's going to drive so many changes. Now, it's how we manage it, right? And it's how we build parameters and standards around it. And that's going to be the interesting part of it. You know? Roshan, what do you see as the tangible benefits, productivity benefits, because uh, from AI coming into the picture, because, you know, it's easy to say that it's going to be make us more productive, but how we think it may make us more productive may be different from how it actually does, right? Because it's still really early for Gen AI. I think it will change jobs, right? So we, we as humans, right, we end up with innovation, we'll say, oh, we won't have any more work to do. But look through history, right? Whenever there is a change, whether it's tires or fire or whatever the technology, right, we morphed into figuring out how to do even more. <laughs> so we become even more tired, right? I mean, when they said, oh, email, computers, oh, we won't have any work. I mean, you, you, look, you just go through, screen through yeah. the discussions back then. But what happened? Computers make us work even harder yeah. <laughs> because it's all about expectation, right? So ultimately, you know, organizations and organizations may morph into something else, but people will say, I want more. I want to be richer. You know, I want this, I want that. So as that happens, right, expectations go higher. Mm. You then will say, what do I need to do to become richer? I need to do more things, right? So I'm thinking jobs like accounting, and, and I mean, you can, the standard literature on this, like, I don't have to say, uh, functional jobs will disappear, mm. right? But does that mean human beings will stop working? 
we will find new ways. And to me, the big 2024 agenda will be how, the, and, and this is a great dialogue I had with Raymond Devadas and some of the tech leaders. Um, and we were talking at a tech conference. I'm like, what should we get our kids to study? You know, all the kids are teenagers. Like, you know, I'm, and, and, and they were saying, you know, maybe we should rethink this whole STEM thing. Because AI is going to take over STEM, right? Yeah. You don't need to do programming. You don't need to do all these things. I mean, you can tell it to develop certain things. But you know what's the big issue? Humans need to connect with each other. Mm. We need human centricity. We need communication. We need empathy. We need that human connection. How do we teach that? You know, it's all a lot of liberal arts, you know, and, and so on. And so we, we're having this dialogue. Maybe we're going to morph back into being humans. Huh? You know, yeah. all the administrative stuff can be taken care but the jobs will change fundamentally. Maybe not now, but 10, 15 years, just like how it's changed over the last 100 years. You know, from manufacturing to this, to automated manufacturing, 3D printing. To me, we will find a space for ourselves, but we won't be, drive, we won't be riding horses, we will be riding cars, it will be something else. There will be people in the transportation industry, we just haven't figured it out. But I strongly believe we will, we will be even more tired. Because <laughs> you look up through human history, right? Yeah. We've worked more and more with more technology. Yeah, because it makes things faster, right? So that you take, go back to your email example. Um, think about how you used to correspond before. If you needed something formal done, you needed to post it. That yeah. had that took time to or get sent it, yeah. and all, right? Yeah. Or you faxed it. Yeah. Uh, or you, if you needed to communicate with someone, you gave them a phone call. But that was expensive as well. Exactly. So when email came in, it changed the frequency at, at which we could communicate. And also, I think the word economy of things, right? It's just like three, exactly. three letters. We can send three emails in the space of 30 seconds. So now things, the frequency of things has increased and so much. And it will much. continue to increase, but it will create more demands on us. Mm. And so that's why they will create more jobs, right? Yeah, so, so whether AI interpret that, interprets that for us, right? The comprehension part of it. So I don't have to read 15 emails. The AI tools then summarize, summarize it. it and say, these are your actionable steps Absolutely. for today. And then the strategy part, the thinking forward, the connecting the dots becomes that bigger uh, focus on. And, and also that human part, as you mentioned, which yeah. is essentially sales in a lot of ways, right? Sales is a big it's, human yeah, it's, it's, it's sales, it's it. wooing, it's connecting. Because how do you build trust? AI can't build trust, uh, not for a while, right? Uh, so, I, I mean, if you look at history, right, we, human beings, we're good in three things. La. We're good in physical things. So we can carry stuff, we can move stuff, and that's what we did. You know, we're also good at analytics. Mm. We can calculate, we can, you know, comprehend, you know, complex things and so on. And the third part, if we're good at connecting, we're human centricity. So we've automated the physical stuff mm. with robots and stuff. And in the past, so we, we create tires because we are lazy. So fundamentally, <laughs> what's the fastest way to get rid of physical stuff? And we've done that really well. Yeah. And now we exercise <laughs> to do the physical stuff, right? Because the body is built that way. Then we are, we are good at analytics. But now we've built AI to take care of number two. Now, number three is what we're good at and we'll continue to be good at. And maybe in the future, maybe it's 50, 60 years, we'll create systems to, to take over that piece mm -hmm. because we're lazy, right? I mean, fundamentally. <laughs> but, but to me, right, it's an evolution. Because of who we are, we say, how can we automate what we call work? Mm -hmm. And then we move to analytics become work. <laughs> now we've automated analytics. So now human centricity becomes work, yeah. right? So we'll always find something. But to me, it's, it's getting rid of work creates new opportunities for different kind of work and new work. I mean, once typewriting was a job, right? To be a typewriter was a proper job and then word processing came into the picture and changed everything there. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to hybrid working, uh, Roshan, mm. uh, any just final comments in terms of how leaders should be looking at uh, AI, in mm. particular, you know, the adoption of AI, because there's going to be this debate, especially with 
SMEs and maybe even the medium-sized enterprises, whether it's worth spending the money to invest and whether they should be investing early. Mm -hmm. What would you say to these leaders and these managers who are a bit more skeptical? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, look at your business, right? If your business model is changing and dying, right? You got to start looking at AI as a strategic partner. So how can I start looking at AI as a strategic partner? Identify areas where AI can add the most value. Maybe it's customer service, data analysis, operations. Just pick a few areas, right? Then you start saying, okay, how do I upskill a couple of people in those areas, my employees, right, to use these tools? So the starting point is use the tools. I mean, I ran a, a sales class with Frank Furness. I said, how do we increase sales exponentially using AI? And all these guys are like, wow, you mean you can do that? You can do that? You mean I can be sleeping in my house and emails go out and, and phone calls go out and, you know, create, you know, I created a, you know, personal AI, you can create your own AI to answer, uh, so people can ask Russian questions, you know, and I can answer based on all the articles I wrote. So, I mean, there's a lot of, again, those are cool, cool stuff. Again, that's my industry. But think about your space, your SME, right? And say, if I can automate this space, here's what's going to be interesting. How do I reuse my employees in this space in more productive ways mm. to drive you know, further sales. If I can get rid of the whole prospecting team, because I can use automated tools to be able to scrape, to be able to get certain things and be able to give every day a list of 10 to my sales guy, can I take those three people and add them as three extra salespeople? Because now you get extra prospects faster, mm. right? So there's ways to actually increase. Now, if your business model is being encroached on, start looking at what are new business models that AI is building based on your space. Yeah. And when you start, you, you'll be blown away because I'm like, <laughs> you mean these guys are already doing stuff like this? And be the first in Malaysia, be the first out here. Because again, we are very slow because we are blaming everything under the sun, right? I mean, it's our usual Malaysian way, ah, oh, this and that, or because I'm born in the wrong family or this and that. I mean, we, we always, but the reality is it's democratized the playing field. Mm. If you take the first step, you can actually start building significant market share and, and, and sort of brand. You know, I'm the first guy to get into the AI space, right? I mean, again, L&D, right? Part of the difference, I think, is that we were first into AI in 2018, 2019. We built Nicole, which is, no, it didn't work out in that way, but we had a learning experience platform that was AI-based that nobody had, right? Mm. And today in the AI, you know, sort of learning space, people say, oh, these guys, you know, they, they always seem to be talking something around that, right? So, so you build brand equity in that space. So even if it doesn't work out, it actually enables you to build that brand equity. You know? Rush, we got to go into a few messages. When sure. we come back, we'll talk about effective management around hybrid workforces, especially in a time where there's a bit of push and pull between whether it works or it doesn't work. More on this with Roshan Thiran in just a few minutes. I'm Roshan Kinesen. You're listening to Raise Your Game. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Build Fairer Malaysia, BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I've been speaking with Roshan Thiran, the founder of Malaysian-based learning and engagement group, Leaderonomics. We've spent quite a bit of time talking about trends, areas to watch out, the lessons to learn from 2023 as we go into 2024. We were talking a little bit about paradoxical leadership in this fast-moving age that we're in, and uh, a little bit more on AI and how leaders and businesses should be looking towards it, especially if you're a bit more skeptical on that. If you miss any part of the conversation, the podcast will be up uh, a little later. Um, 
Roshan, I also want to get into hybrid workforces, sure. right? This is something that the pandemic has really pushed into the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Remote work is now by some people, it's a demand. Some employers don't like it. You're seeing this push and pull. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. A lot of situations, I guess, where some people can't negotiate for it, but some people are I won't work if you don't offer me some kind of hybrid working environment. Um, I guess, what are the key ways to be looking at hybrid workforces and effectively managing them? What are some of the key things you've seen this year? Yeah, so actually, whether it's hybrid or physical workforce, right? I mean, there are a couple of things. If you think about historically, there's a guy called Abraham Manslow, you know, kind of... Manslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, the top part is about purpose, right? Yeah. You know, I I have a why in my life. I know what I'm doing, right? Now, if you think about it organizationally, right? Employees want the first level of psychological safety, which is, you know, take care. You know, I feel safe. uh, I can take risks. I'm allowed to sort of, you know, be free. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, whether it's hybrid or physical, people want psychological safety. They want an environment that's no fear and so on and so forth, right? And then it goes up to, I want validation. Uh, you know, again, don't talk about the basic needs, uh, which is the first layer, right? Which is pay me well, pay me decent, and so on and <laughs> so forth, right? So, but but as we talk about this, uh, let's talk about uh, the, the, the reason why hybrid work came about was not because of the pandemic. It was because the gig economy kicked in and people felt unfair. So some fellow was, let's assume that, a quick example, two people working, both same level, same age, earning about the same. But one is doing 10 outputs of work a month, the other one is doing two. Now, the guy who's doing 10 is like, I need more. And then we say, oh, there's structures, there's HR, there's all these other things. The guy gets fed up, or a girl, he says, you know, let me just pen my outcomes or my output. Let me put it out in the market. And so I get paid, you know, 10 output. And after a while, two, three, four, five, I mean, a lot of people start going to the economy. Now, the employer starts to say, yeah, I need these people. I need this output. Right, you bring in a gig worker into your organization, the hierarchy starts to change because this person is not an employee. Mm-hmm. They're part of a network. Now, as time goes on, with so many, you start to see hierarchies start to change into little networks. So I have this project here, I have a project here, and, and so on. And if you look at new organizations, when they set up, they don't set up hierarchy. They set up based on projects or pieces of work. So you may be part of this, 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 this. Right? So hybrid work actually is when the pandemic happened, people suddenly realized that, hey, I can still effectively, and, and, and the data tells you, huh, people are more productive in hybrid. I, I have it somewhere here. Uh, it says that people are more productive actually doing hybrid work because they are able to segmentize quickly. I'm in here, I'm in here, I'm in here. Now, plus there's less disruptions. Mm. However, the other piece of data is trust is best built when you're in the office. Yeah. So you've got two issues here, right? Like, go back to paradoxical leadership. Exactly, right? You want to build trust. Because when people have trust, people connect better, people uh, can rely. It's like the Avengers. If you watch the movie, they <laughs> fight, 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 fight. Only time they stop fighting is when they became friends and yeah. then they started catching people and so on, right? So same thing, right? You want to build trust, but you also want to drive productivity. And so the guys who are doing it in between is saying like once a week, and we've decided for our organization, you know, every team comes in once a week and once a month, every whole company comes together, which is tomorrow, in fact, we're having all. But, but we, you, you've got to find a system that works in hybridity. But the last part is where I think companies will have a challenge. The last part is about working for a purposeful company. Mm. And if you are able to, and this is very important, because if you're able to say my company is an impact-based company that's driving impact and employees believe that you're a purpose-based company, whether you're monitoring them or not monitoring them, and this is the issue with hybrid, right? Whether, you know, whether they're really working or not. If they are driven by a cause, right, they are probably going to put in the yards. There's they're a pull factor, in, essentially. Absolutely, right? So that's, that's going to be the thing. So go back to the hierarchy, right? The final part is the purpose, right? So if you can actually make your company purpose-driven 
and say, yeah, I'm giving meaningful work to my employees, you are able to then not bother about monitoring. Because you, you know monitoring works is cultural, right? So I mean, like Singaporeans will come here and drive fast, right? But the moment they go back to Singapore, they are monitored, right? So they, but monitoring only works when people are compliant because they're saying, I'm doing it because of. But if you're working for a cause, people will do it in spite of. You know, and that's where hybrid work really works, right? Mm. Now, the other piece with hybrid work is you must make it conducive. So again, uh, tools are happening in Budaya, where, where you have a gym, where all employees can, can see who runs together, work, to work out together, mm-hmm. all through technology, right? Because you can monitor your steps or whatever you want. You have a town hall that's virtual. You have a hangout place that's virtual. And occasionally, the virtual tool also allows you to do physical stuff together, play badminton together, or join a futsal game. So enabling you to have the right, and again, technology is there today, that gives you tools like that. It's already available, right? So it's it's a big part of that is that trust element, right? Because I guess for a lot of people who have worked in a company and then you do remote working, you you trust this person to do so. But if you've just entered a company and it's remote, maybe managers aren't as comfortable with that or they become a bit more micromanaging. But this part that you've brought up here, the cultural part of it, the building socializations in other forms, other ways, because that's a big part of the office culture. You come to office and you interact with your colleagues in not just a working manner. You have lunch together, you Absolutely. go out for lunch, you have little banter here and there because you're in a physical presence. Where else, when I was working remotely, uh, pure, I think all of us were doing that, it's, you're disconnected. Absolutely. And it has its own negative consequences. And one of them being, um, if you feel disconnected from your work, maybe you know um, you don't feel as driven. Absolutely, uh, yeah. absolutely. And, 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 and you know, what builds us culture? You, you know, the number one thing, what, when you talk, what's the BFM culture? What's the Ramis culture, right? It's ultimately about rituals. Mm. So again, you can create digital rituals, people to check in and, and so on and so forth, right? And you can have physical rituals. But remember, a culture is defined by the rituals you place in your organization. So when you create a hybrid workforce, some are physical, some, you need to build the right rituals to enable successful integration and deployment and trust, right? It goes back to that. Sorry. Do you have any examples, uh, any any tactical examples that people can, you know, try out? Yeah, so, I mean, the app that I use, uh, I love, it's, it's called Happily, which actually enables you to basically build some digital rituals like virtual town halls and and then we can jog together so and we compete employees compete who runs more you know and, and, and i tell you this is serious you know i mean yeah, I, yeah, i've I lost the last imagine. two months uh, but, but 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 you you think about you, you're talking about healthy ritual but how yeah. do you make it into a space that's competitive mm. now the other thing is about recognition people want recognition how do you give recognition so the tool allows employees you know to give coins to other employees that have helped them and it comes out in the feed, right? It comes out in the feed. So, you know, when I look at the feed, I'm like, oh, this guy's giving this guy. And you start to see a lot more trouble. Oh, I, I helped this person give me some coins and it's recognized at a, at a public level. So, I mean, there, there are 20 other, uh, there's feedback, there's many other elements to it. But what I'm saying is that there are tools out there today that, and there's probably different other tools that others can use, but there are tools out there that enables you to build what I call virtual culture or even not virtual culture. I think, and I'm going to fast forward this AI discussion a bit. The best employees to hire today is in which country? I don't care. I can hire them. So, you know, during the pandemic, I had a Mexican working for me. I had a, a guy in, in the UK working for me. I had a person in uh, uh, Japan working for us. I had a bunch of people and a whole bunch of Indonesians. Now, today, a lot of Indonesians continue to work for us, but they're working virtually for me. But you know that it won't work until you have an infrastructure in place to enable that to work. Mm-hmm. So the key is, you can, and to me, it's, I feel I like hiring Indonesians. They're hungry, their quality is high and at a, a base rate that's much lower. But it won't work 
unless you have that infrastructure in place. Mm. So for you to succeed, you've got to think through infrastructure. What is the structure? What's the policy? People behave according to policy. So what's the policy? What's the, the way I manage it? What's the rituals? Because if I'm online and the rituals are only for those in the office. Then you have a different problem. Then you have a problem, right? Yeah. So the rituals must work both in a collaborative environment, mm. right? And then you, mean, you need to have some physical rituals so that people can connect. You need some dinner, some this and that. So it's about a blend of both, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's possible today, right? It's absolutely possible today. And you know, occasionally five people over, right? And that's where maybe where you want HR to be focused on, your chief people officers I think so. to I think that's where build they, that. They need to be experts in two things. One is they need to be intelligence officers, employee intelligence officers, meaning they need to know, just like a marketing knows the customer, they need to know every part of the employee. The second part they need to do is employee engagement experts, Mm. meaning once I get the insights, what interventions do I do? Do I send them for training or do I talk to them or do I just give them a pat on the back or do I highlight them? (laughs) But but you see, these are critical because as an employee, I I need certain things at the right moment in time. Mm. If you give me the right thing, at the right moment in time, I will act in a certain positive way. But you give me the same thing two weeks later, I couldn't be bothered, yeah. right? So that Timing. just in time, HR is going to be absolutely critical. Yeah. Roshan, I, w- I wish we had more time to get into <laughs> way more, uh, but we've got to call it for today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining mm-hmm. us in Love the studio. It. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Roshan Thiran, the founder of Malaysian-based learning and engagement group Leaderonomics. I'm Roshan Kinesen. You've been listening to Raise Your Game. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.